0: I'm going to read just two verses this morning, uh, John 1, uh, verse 1, and then John 1, uh, verse 14, and we'll finish up this segment uh, at the beginning of John's gospel. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then John 1, uh, verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, before we move on in John, I want to spend a little more time on the phrase, the Word. For in John 1, verse 1 and verse 14, we have this great teaching about the deity and the humanity of Christ. And this is, this is more of a doctrinal sermon, and I know that doctrinal sermons can be a, a little on the dry side, but you need to understand the great truths found in these verses. Uh, the phrase, the word, is logos in the Greek. And for both John's Greek and Jewish audience, is the word of God, the logos, was full of meaning. For the Greek philosophers, it Uh, the Logos was impersonal. It was abstract. It was a principle of reason and order in the universe. Logos was a creative force. It was a a source of wisdom. But John is here making clear that Jesus, the Logos, was not an impersonal source. It it was not a force. Uh, He was not a principle. In Jesus, we have the true Logos we have God. John's Jewish audience also had a concept of the logos. The logos of the word of the Lord was an Old Testament expression of divine power, divine wisdom. It was by his word that God created the heavens and the earth. It was by his word that God gave the Ten Commandments and all the law. It was by his word that God gave the the teaching and the prophecy. But John is here presenting Jesus as the incarnation of the divine word. The incarnation of power and wisdom and revelation. John, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit and having been an eyewitness to all that Jesus said and all that Jesus did, is making an incredibly shocking statement That in Jesus, the fullness of deity and humanity dwell. Let's consider Jesus' deity. John 1 again, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and here it is, and the Word was God. This is perhaps the clearest and most direct statement of the deity of Christ in all of Scripture. And the deity of Christ, along with his humanity, are non-negotiable beliefs of the Christian faith. But why should we believe it? Why should we believe that Jesus is God? Many scholars and pastors, John MacArthur, J.I. Packer, uh, Wayne Grudem, uh, many others, Tozer, so many others have written in detail on this subject. But I want to share just a summary of why we believe Jesus is God. First of all, we have the teaching of the scriptures. And not just in here in John 1.1. 1, 1. But consider all the I am statements that we, we've already had a series on. All those I am statements intentionally were referring back to Exodus 3 and reminding us of the great name that uh, God gave himself when he said, I am, I'm Jehovah, I'm Yahweh. Or take John 10:30, for example. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Later on in that same chapter, verse 33, the Jews are about to stone Jesus, and they say, Because you being a man, make yourself God. Paul wrote in Colossians 2:9, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily second, Jesus receives titles that the Old Testament uses to refer to God. I've already mentioned the I am statements, but Jesus is also referred to as the shepherd and specifically as the good shepherd. Jesus is referred to as the judge and the holy one and the first and the last and the Lord of lords. Jesus also has the attributes of God. Jesus is omnipresent, Matthew 18, 20, for where two or three gather in my name, there am I among them. Jesus is omniscient. He's all-knowing. In John 16, 30, the disciples say, now we know that you know all things. Jesus is omnipotent. Philippians 3:21. he'll transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Jesus is immutable. He's never changing. Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. Jesus is sovereign. Matthew 28:18: All authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. The fourth reason we know Jesus as God is that He does the works that God does. John 1.3 says that Jesus created the heavens and the earth. Mark 2.10, Jesus had the authority to forgive sins, and only God can forgive sins. Jesus was also worshipped, folks. Matthew 14.33, it says that those in the boat fell down and they worshipped Him, and saying, truly, you're the Son of God. The man born blind Uh, when Jesus healed him in John 9 38 said Lord I believe and then he worshiped him taken as a whole I believe the great truth of scripture is that the word Jesus is God Jesus is divine he's also human verse 14 says that in the word became flesh and he dwelt among us And we've seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Here we have one of the most concise biblical statements of the incarnation, of God becoming flesh in Jesus Christ. As John MacArthur writes, this verse expresses the reality that in the incarnation, God took on humanity the infinite became finite, eternity entered time, the invisible became visible, the creator entered his creation. John 1.14 declares that the father, that the eternal word that we've already been told was with God and was God became flesh, a human being in the person of Jesus Christ and he dwelt among us. And that word dwelt is an interesting word Uh, It's actually the word uh, tent, to tent among them, or uh, we might think of it more in the Old Testament as to tabernacle among them. And as many of you know, in the Old Testament, God tended with Israel by his glorious presence in the tabernacle or in the temple. So in the person of Jesus, what we're saying is that God pitched his tent. He pitched his tabernacle among us. Jesus Christ's humanity is not a mere appearance. He doesn't just seem to be human. He dwelt among us. He literally pitched his tent among us. And so it's an essential attribute, an essential belief that we trust in the humanity of Jesus. That he was fully human without losing his deity. Charles Wesley would later try to capture this great beauty and the wonder of the Incarnation in his wonderful carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Veiled in flesh the God's head see, Hail the incarnate deity, Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. You know, we've had 2,000 years of teaching and singing about the great truth of God becoming flesh in Jesus. And still, despite its truth, it's amazing. It's hard for us to fully comprehend. So can you imagine how the people must have felt when John was inspired to pen this great truth? The truth of both John 1 1 and John 1 verse 14, that Jesus is both fully God and fully human. Was so shocking, it was so shocking that the church spent the first five centuries of its existence debating this matter, defending this doctrine of the incarnation. During that time, many erroneous teachings arose about this union of the divine and the human in Christ. By the way, I want to add a shameless plug here. Uh, Some of the ladies of our church are beginning a study of the first 500 years uh, of the church. Uh, They're beginning in in September. I would urge you to contact Jeanette and consider attending that study. I think you'll learn more there uh, than the summary I'm about to share about how the church looked at this whole issue of the Incarnation. But but during that time, there were a lot of false teachings that arose. Some falsely argued that Jesus did not not have a human soul. Some, like the docetists, who believed the physical was evil and the spirit was good, falsely argued that Jesus could not have had a body. Therefore, they they argued that either Jesus only appeared to have a body or, or that the Holy Spirit entered him when he was baptized, but it left him before his crucifixion not true. Another false view was that Jesus was a created being and thus inferior to God the Father. This was a false belief known as Arianism. Still others viewed Jesus as two complete persons, one human, the other divine. All of these views were erroneous because they either denied the deity of Christ or the humanity of Christ. After many years of debate in the Council of Nicaea in 325, which settled Jesus' deity, and then the Council of Chalcedon in 451, it officially declared that Jesus is both divine and human. I want to read a portion of that decree for you. It's, uh, it's an older language, so it's a bit hard to, to read, but I want to read a, a little segment for you. Following then, the Holy Fathers... We unite in teaching all men to confess the one and only Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Next one. The self-same one is perfect, both in deity and also in humanness. This self-same one, that is Jesus, is also actually God and actually man with a rational soul and a body. He is of the same reality as God as far as his deity is concerned, and of the same reality as we are ourselves, as far as his humanness is concerned. Thus he's like us in all respects, sin only accepted. The the creed goes on to say that Christ has two natures, divine and human, this is what they were debating, without confusing the two natures without transmitting one nature into the other and without dividing them. Jesus is truly divine and truly human. Now, now why have I spent so much time on this this morning? I know some of you are bound to be going, I'm falling asleep out here, Danny. Why have you spent so much time on this? Most importantly is that salvation is at stake in this truth. Salvation is at stake in this truth first timothy 2 5 to 6 says this for there's one god there is one mediator between god and men the man christ jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all a mediator represents two parties jesus can only represent god if he's fully god And Jesus can only represent us if he's fully human. So the union of Christ's deity and his humanity unites for us all that we need in a Savior, in the person of Jesus. Because Jesus is God, he's the only adequate sacrifice because Jesus alone is perfect. And because Jesus is human, he's experienced everything that you and I have experienced except sin. Therefore, he can die in our place. Salvation is at stake in this truth. I believe our everyday living is at stake and is crucial in this truth. Because Jesus is God, He is all-powerful and cannot be defeated. Therefore, we are secure. We will not perish. Because Jesus is God, He can and does empower us for every task He calls us to. By His Holy Spirit, we can do every task He calls us as individuals and as a church to do. Because Jesus is human, though, He can identify with us. He can sympathize with us. We can go to Jesus when we're tempted. He knows what it's like to be tempted. But we can go to Jesus when we're angry. We can go to Jesus when we've been rejected, when we've been betrayed by our closest friend. We can go to Jesus when we're weeping at the graveside of a loved one because he wept at the graveside of loved ones. Namely, we know he wept at the side of Lazarus' grave and he knew what was coming. He did so to sympathize with us, to empathize with us. And the fact that Jesus is divine and human, it ought to greatly enhance our worship. It ought to cause you and I to realize more and more just how awesome our God is and how worthy he is of our worship, how amazing it is that the eternal person of God in Jesus would come and be a human being and dwell among us, live our life and die our death so that we might be raised. It ought to just cause us to overflow with worship and joy and excitement to be in the presence of the Lord. And finally, I would say this truth matters because the nature of Jesus is still a target today for false teachers and for cults and for false religions of our day. From ancient Gnostics and Docetists to contemporary Islam, there has been and continues to be those who argue against the full deity and humanity of Jesus. You need to be aware You need to be aware and able to teach and defend the great teachings of Scripture that Jesus is fully divine and fully human. John wrote in his first letter, chapter 4, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the Spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Lord Jesus. It's nearly beyond comprehension for us to, to fathom, to get our minds around the fact that you are fully God and fully man. It, it's hard to fathom that you would become flesh and dwell among us and live our lives and die our death, all because you love us, all because you were willing to pay the ransom for our lives. And Lord, I pray that we will defend this great truth about You and will never waver from this truth. I pray that we'll realize that You're the only one who can save us. And knowing this, that we'll trust in Your salvation and we'll give You our great worship and praise for saving us. Help us realize that That being fully God, you are the one we can rely upon. And being fully human, you can sympathize with our every struggle, our every weakness. Oh Lord Jesus, we praise you and we thank you for you are our Savior. In your name we pray, amen. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you might abound in hope. God bless you.